Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you are joining us today for the first time, we are on day 78 of that plan. Yes, and so welcome to the podcast. If this is your first time, glad you're a part of the new community. I guess not the new, but you're a new part of the community. Um, we do like to take time as much as we can week over week answering questions from our listenership, um, from you, our dear listener, in the words of Evan. Uh, so we would love for you to send in those questions. There's three ways you can actually send us a question. One is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line, it's a podcast question. Uh, you can also direct message us on social media where the Grove Church, as Evan had already said, in Washington State. We are on Facebook as well as Instagram. Our Instagram handles the Grove CH, uh, and you can DM us there all the questions you have. Well, today's a big day. Today we are we're in we're in the middle of March, and we are going to be finishing up our first section of the Bible. So, which is crazy. Yep, the Pentateuch which is the first five books, it's done, or the law, if you're going by, you know, the way it's referred to often in the Old Testament, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We are finishing that up this this week. We also, we took a little detour in Job, so that was a good time as well. But we, oh, we have, did, I forgot about that. Yeah, I know, and it, it's, it's a good time. And we've had a couple, you know, a little bit of Chronicles sprinkled in there. We're getting yep. our first Psalm today. Yeah. Yeah, it was our first Psalm. Yep, first one. Yeah, there you go. But first off, we are first off, we are going to wrap up Deuteronomy, and then Aaron's going to take us through the first first chunk of Joshua, which actually the first a, half of the book. Yeah, there's a lot that happens there, and then we'll talk about that Psalm at the end. So with Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 26 wraps up a section of the law that we were in last week, and it makes clear that when the people enter the land, they are to offer a tenth of their wealth to God. So we call that a tithe, right? And then it's laid out over a certain period of years. It looks a little bit different in each year, but essentially the idea is when you first get into the promised land, you're going to make sure that you acknowledge that, hey, who who got us here? Mm-hmm. It's God. And yep. you know, and again, I, I brought it up last week a little bit, but I think, I think it's very true. The golden calf in- incident is very much fresh in it's the mi- in the mind of God. Um, this is a generation later, but I, and I and I don't blame him one bit because literally, like right after he delivers them out of Egypt, they're like, "Oh yeah, this 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 cow, that's the thing that delivered <laughs> us out." And so God is making sure, like, nope, you're going to remember who did this for you. So there you go. Um, in chapter twenty seven. Moses commands the people to build an altar and offer sacrifices to Yahweh when they cross the Jordan. Uh, this is going to take place on Mount Ebal, um, which it, it confused me for a second because I thought it was saying this this scene was taking place on Mount Ebal. Yeah. Uh, no, this is God, Moses is commanding them when they get to Mount Ebal yep. that they're going to offer sacrifices here. And this was located close to Shechem. Uh, and if you're thinking to yourself, Shechem, that sounds familiar. That's where Levi killed. Uh, Levi and I, I forgot the other brother that was really, was it Simeon? Yeah, Simeon was the other brother who uh, they killed a man named Shechem. Levi kind of gets that reputation as being a super, super violent and Moses kind of carries that on. And so that's where the uh, the altar is going to be built and the sacrifices are going to be made. And then there is also a series of curses in this section. So this is uh, for, essentially it's cursed to be he or or she who does blank and it's curses upon those who create idols, those who dishonor their parents, those who lie about their property, 
those who take advantage of the disabled, those who take advantage of foreigners, widows, or orphans. Uh, there's a whole slew of sexual <laughs> sins in true. there. And then I thought that uh, this one was always, always just stands out to me in this section every year. Uh, anyone who takes work as a paid assassin. So those of you who pay, who play Assassin's Creed and you're like, boy, this sounds really awesome. Stop it. You're going to get cursed. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, all Tyre, <laughs> that's the guy's name. I got to say, I, pl- I played the first Assassin's Creed and... I didn't like it. I oh, was, I like them. I know. I know you're a big you're a big Assassin's Creed guy. I'm a simple video game guy. You know? I haven't played the Mursusan ones, but I'm yeah. also 39, and video games don't play in my life as much as they used uh, to. Oh, you know, what's the point of uh, you know? Sometimes you need to entertain Listen, yourself, and sometimes when you, you get, gotta, when you have multiple kids, you ain't got time for that. You're, are you saying I won't be able to get my banana horde back from the Kremlings after? One I'm saying when you have children that are more than one. It's probably true. You your priorities shift, especially as they get older. Like baby stage, there's still plenty of video game stage. But when your kids start going to school, preschool, they got sports they're a part of. Like your life now becomes small, and how much video game time you play. Got to cut out my Age of Empires time. Yes. Although you correct me if I'm wrong, your your wife will play with you, or she'll read a book while or something like that while yeah, you're yeah. doing it. Yeah, we have time together. So my wife my wife doesn't do that. She ain't got time for that. Oh, gotcha. And so so it's a whole different. It's a different animal. So you actually might still maintain some of that because that is a version of quality time for you and your wife. Hey, some of my um, favorite memories as a kid though, playing video games with my parents. Well, so yeah, but that's that and that'll be a little different though because you're not playing the games to compete. You're playing the games to connect. Aaron, if you listen really carefully, you can hear the voice of our listeners in their car saying, shut up about video games and get back to the Bible, which you don't... But hey. you can also hear other versions of our listeners like, ah, they're so real and and, and down to earth. So, maybe. Anyways, maybe. but yes, that was a total rabbit trail. If you are a parent and you play video games, still great. Good on you. I don't have time for it. So, Listeners, we hear your cries. We're getting back, back to, to the, the Bible. Bible right now. So chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, uh, it contains another section of blessings uh, blessings and curses. Uh, if the people follow the law of Yahweh, he promises to exalt them among the nations and shower blessings upon them. However, on the flip side of the coin, God promises to curse the nation if they do not follow him. Uh, I say this all the time, but I wonder if that comes up <laughs> in the future. I wonder. <laughs> not this time. Though. Huh, yeah. Kidding. I wonder if uh, the people... People of Israel don't follow God and some really bad things happen in the future. We'll have to, we'll have to come back to that, I suppose. Uh, in fact, you know, speaking of passages, I, I put this one out. So listener, if you've been, if you've read the Bible before, if you haven't, first off, glad you're here, follow along with us. So I guess this is a little bit of spoilers, but if you were with us last year, or if you've read the Bible, some of this will sound familiar to you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is in that whole section of curses, uh, starting in verse 49. It says, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed it also shall not leave your uh, you grain or oil the increase of your herds of or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish they shall besiege you in all of your towns until all your high and fortified walls in which you have trusted come down throughout your land and they shall be, they shall besiege you in all of your towns throughout your land which the Lord your God has given you so uh, if you're wondering about that, that is essentially exactly what happens in the book of Second Kings. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll get it's to that. It's very true, but that's coming. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, no more no more talking about the future. We're still in Deuteronomy <laughs> right now. Although to be honest, a lot of Deuteronomy is basically con- it's concerned with the future. It's yeah. Moses warning the people, hey. Remember that last generation that did not follow the law of God and how God punished them and now they're all dead? Don't do that. (laughs) But in the end, and sure enough, 
Eventually they do. This next generation, actually, they do they do well. So we'll, when we get to Joshua, it's one of the more uplifting books of the Old Testament because for the most part, there's a little bit in there, but for the most part, they do a good job. And then we really- It's not as depressing right. as we, much as Deuteronomy and even Leviticus and Exodus have been. We really don't get that much um, of, I, I'm, t- I'm trying to think how to say it. I feel like the uplifting books of the Bible where, where the Israelites basically make good choices are Joshua, Ruth, and then we have to wait all the way until like Nehemiah. <laughs> And then Ezra, and then it comes back. So there you go. You're not wrong. Oh, man. All right. So chapter 29 marks the beginning of Moses' final speech to the people, which begins with a covenant renewal in the land of Moab. Um, You'll see this happen multiple times, but essentially it's a, uh, I guess it's almost like a marriage vow renewal Mm -hmm. ceremony, the way that we use it, where um, it's a rededication to the covenant and reminding the people of, hey, don't don't forsake this like your fathers did. Um, This chapter is almost a Pentateuch in miniature, where Moses reminds Israel of their captivity in Egypt and how Yahweh delivered them. And he also poignantly tells Israel that while they do not have all the truths of Yahweh, what has been revealed is to be passed down to all generations. Um, Which I actually liked, I liked that it's said there where God has mysteries, God has things that he has not revealed, but what he has revealed this is to be passed down to your children and your children's children. So, and I think that's that applies to us even today, where obviously we have a lot more of we have a lot more revelation from God than this generation of Israelites had. It's but true. at the same time, there's still a lot that we don't know. Um, but the, what we do have is to be passed down. Uh, in chapter thirty. Moses implores the people to remember God after they have known his curses. So essentially, even after the wrath of God is poured out, he is ready to forgive. And again, I wonder if that comes up later. Uh, no, it, abs- it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, and it's not this, and I'm not there. I'm I'm not referring to one specific part of the Old Testament. This comes up like it seems like every few chapters. Like the people of Israel rebel, and God is ready to forgive them. And that's even how the Old Testament ends: is the people of Israel rebelled, and God is willing to forgive them. So mm-hmm. I've, we're just spoiling the whole Old Testament today. <laughs> you don't need to read it anymore. Just now that you got that synopsis. Oh, man. Just kidding. Uh, to put it simply, Moses tells the people that he has presented them two options. Life is good or life and good, death and evil. It's up to you to choose. You can choose oh. life, you can choose good, or you can choose death and you can choose evil. That's Make a your tough choice. choice. Yeah. It's like, it's not even, he's not even being subtle with it. No. It's just like straight up like, and, but, and here's the deal. It's not subtle, but how often do we choose death? How yeah. often do we choose evil? Well, I mean, but it's, it's, it's cognizant of even today, right? I mean, if, if, if I'm talking to my grandfather, I'm talking to my grandma, I'm talking, you know, as my, my parents age and get older, they're always giving a, a, the, the parental advice of like, here's what I'll tell you, choose this or this, you get to choose. But it's like, it's a blatant choice. And so I, I, again, Moses is at the end. Like Moses is, this is his last speech to the, to the people of God before they move on, before he dies and they move on because he doesn't get to move on with them. Um, so it is this moment of like, okay, I'm going to, here's your options. Choose good or choose evil. I, I say you should choose good, but here's what that means. And I think that's a big deal too. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a blatant thing, but I think it's also that if I don't have, I don't have time to beat around the bush. I don't have time to make you, to massage it and make it feel good. I'm just going to tell you point blank, yes or no. Like That's what it comes down to. Moses is shooting straight yep. with the people. Yep. Uh, chapter 31 gives us the beginning of the transition to Joshua. So I'm just going to read a small section here. This is Deuteronomy chapter 31, starting in verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. 
The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the king of the, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. Remember, those are the kings that they dispossessed. Oh, and on that's the where, east side of the Jordan. Yep, so that's where East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, their land comes in. Uh, and the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the fear of the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous. I'm, Aaron, I'm guessing you're going to talk about that phrase a little bit when we get into no, it. No, actually, I'm not. You're not? I'm just kidding. I'm just I, was kidding. Like, I was like, okay, 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 okay. Uh, you can't talk about Joshua without reading that passage. I'm sorry. Listeners, spoiler alert. So that's alert. coming. The phrase, be strong and courageous, it happens between these chapters of Deuteronomy and the end of Joshua. You're going to be reading that a lot. Yeah. It makes me wonder why. Yeah. Uh, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Say it with me, listeners. <laughs> oh, this one actually is do not fear or be dismayed. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit differently. He doesn't say be strong uh, and courageous. It was a good attempt. That's say, probably one of my favorite verses in all the Old Testament, by the way. Do not fear or be dismayed. Oh, it's the Lord who goes with you. He will be with one you. One translation says it is the Lord who personally goes ahead of you. Like, I, I love the way it phrases because it is that tension of... Like Moses's reminder to Joshua, it's not about you, but you have to follow and lead. Um, so I think that was, I, I just love that line. I think it's huge. And it's and, and in fairness to Joshua and, and Caleb, that is what they're famous for, yep. right? Is before this, before, I guess Joshua, before, you know, leading the people of Israel, the best thing that he does is him and Caleb come back and they're like, guys, it's the... The Lord, like Yahweh Elohim is in front of us. Obviously, we have nothing to fear. And the rest of Israel was like, but they're big. And so, yeah. <laughs> they're giants. But they're so, they're so large. Anyway, I don't know. That's my voice of That's the a Israel. grasshopper voice. That's my voice of the Israelite. Um, okay. So uh, as we continue Not on- Not named Joshua and Caleb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All but two of the Israelites of that generation. In the next section, we interesting, interestingly see Moses write down everything proceeding and give it to the Levites. Um, it's funny because we don't get a lot of self-referential things in the Bible, but this is just straight up. And then Moses wrote down all of Deuteronomy. It doesn't say all of Deuteronomy. Yeah, but that's what it's referring to. Yeah, everything that preceded it, and he gave it to the Levites. So we get like, oh, okay, that's how we got the first uh, 31 chapters of Deuteronomy. Cool. Uh, and then chapter 31 ends with Joshua being commissioned to lead Israel. In chapter 32, we are given the Song of Moses, which explores many of the same themes as the book uh, of the book of Deuteronomy, right? Mm -hmm. So it's remaining faithful to the covenant of Yahweh. Um, and I just put, however, I think it, it, this would just be easier for Israelites to remember. And so if you're in, just think in our lives today, right? It's If we're trying to memorize scripture, that's oftentimes really difficult. Memorizing a song, like yep. how many worship songs do we know just off the top of our heads because we sing them yep. together? Um, and so I think that's part of what's happening here is it's addressing some of the main themes, but it's a way that the Israelites get, this can be a chant that they're able to do and, mm -hmm. and they remember them. So, and then the song ends with a reminder of God's sovereignty, which I love. So I put it in here. Uh, this is starting in verse 34 of chapter 32. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasure? Vengeance is mine in recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, for their doom comes swiftly, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees their power, that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, where are the gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices who and drank the wine of their drink? 
drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive. I wound and heal, for there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand forever and swear as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and take and my hand takes on takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make arrows drunk with blood, and the sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. So... Is, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I think we we get warrior God here, and uh, yeah. that's it's, it's and I, I, that's not to say it's a different God or anything like that, but as we see this part of the person of God come out, where it's I am going to deliver this land to you. This is how it's going to happen. Um, and and again, I, I love this line comes up all the time in the Old Testament. We'll see it time and time again. But I love just. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Or in other words, when God decides this is going to happen, nothing is going to stop that. And that's what the people of Israel need to trust in, that God has decided to give them this land and nothing's going to stop that. So there you go. Chapter 33 is a little bit reminiscent of Jacob's blessing to his sons, only this time it's Moses blessing the tribes of Israel. So it's not Jacob calling his sons as his last words. And we get that at the end of Genesis. Um, But this is Moses calling the tribes and essentially giving them blessings. So the the blessings are as follows. Uh, Reuben is a little bit of a shorter one, but it's that he will persevere, but never be one of the larger tribes. Uh, Judah has a blessing of the favor of God against their adversaries. Levi is given wisdom to teach Israel and to guide them. Uh, There's two, I should have written them down. There's two Hebrew words. And I was kind of curious, like, what are those? Uh, Essentially, they're flat stones that were used like two-sided dice. Oh, it's and the, so, er, the Thuman and the Er, the earth, whatever. Yes. It's the, that's the, it's the TH and the U ones, but that's what it is. It's in essence what they use to cast lots. Yep. So it's saying basically giving them wisdom as they lead. Uh, Benjamin is given security. Joseph, interesting here, Joseph is named, not Ephraim and Manasseh, but that applies to both, um, is praised for their standing, uh, essentially as the, the exalted. And then we once again see Ephraim taking precedence over Manasseh. Remember that Manasseh was the firstborn of mm-hmm. Joseph, but Ephraim is always mentioned first. And we see in this blessing that Ephraim is uh, given the uh, the tens of thousands as opposed to Manasseh's thousands, I believe is the way it works. Uh, and that turn of phrase will also come up later. Uh, <laughs> Zebulun and Issachar are, are grouped together and they're told that their land will have right sacrifices made on the mountains and also they will find many treasures in their land seas. Uh, Gad is set apart as kind of a warrior tribe of Israel to a certain extent. So it's kind of an interesting one to read, but it talks about just essentially like their war, <laughs> their warriors. Uh, there's not much said about Dan. So Moses locates them. <laughs> yeah, Dan, if you uh, if you know, because he's got the weird name of the brothers. That's true. Uh, if you know your if you know your Old Testament history, you may remember that Dan uh, is of all the tribes, he's the biggest bummer, and so uh, that's <laughs> he doesn't get mentioned in Revelation, uh, along with Manasseh. But Dan is kind of the first tribe to fully go apostate. Apostate. They migrate north, and Moses seems to indicate that. So he he actually names them in a city north. So he kind of is predicting what's going to happen later there. Uh, Naphtali is said to have the full blessing of God, and it talks about how he has the Sea of Galilee, which is Ooh. that great lake uh, that is mentioned to the south of Dan's land. And then Asher is the final tribe named 
it's very Asher's very blessed, which is kind of interesting because Asher doesn't really come up all that often, mm-hmm. at least that I remember. Um, but they are giving blessings over blessings over many of the tribes, and particularly with iron or not iron, particularly with mining. And so they talk about like the ore they get from the earth and things like that. And then finally, this is the last section. This is chapter thirty-four. I just wanted to read this because I think as we close out the Pentateuch, this is a really great. Um, this is a really great passage to keep in mind. So this is the whole of chapter 34. It's only 12 verses. Don't worry, listener. We're not going to be reading for It's only 64 here. verses. It's only, oh, it's, we're going to read all of Psalm 119. I hope right you now. have a long drive in front of you. All right, but here we go. Starting in verse one. So this is, I should say, Moses has written Deuteronomy. He has said all these things. He's blessed the nations of Israel. And now he's going to go off. Um, this is also probably the part of Deuteronomy that is not written by Moses. Mm-hmm. And we'll see why. It says, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of the Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the Valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. And this is speaking of some of my favorite lines of the Old Testament. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping in the morning of Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants in all his land, and for all of the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The end. And that is how Deuteronomy ends with Moses getting to see the promised land with his own eyes, Mm -hmm. dying, buried by God himself, so no one knows where this happens. And then we just get a little epilogue on how Moses is the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. And and I've, I've said this before, every time that God makes drastic changes to covenant, what happens? It's a lot of miracles. And you're going to see God making it clear, no, this is me. This is not false. Uh, And so when God gives this first great old covenant, it's not obviously not the old covenant at this point, but it's the covenant that he gives the people of Israel. We see it with Moses and God is clearly showing, no, this is what I'm doing. The next time we see that much of an outpouring of the miraculous, and even more so, a certain someone comes in and heralds the new covenant that uh, we are currently Who's under right that? now. Maybe it's Jesus. I don't know. So, yes, but, we'll, but we'll uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, before Aaron kicks off the book of Joshua, we do want to remind everyone to leave us a five star review, particularly on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those are kind of our two most popular platforms. So the more that we get out there, uh, the more people kind of are able to discover the podcast and listen. We love being able to see how mm-hmm. many people are listening and also where everyone's coming from. So that's really fun. And if you leave us a uh, written review on Apple Podcasts. We will read it on the air just because, you know, that's the kind of guys we are. We like to give our listeners a shout out. So if you haven't left us us a review, please do so. It would mean the world to us. Aaron, 
Let's talk about Joshua. Yeah. Well, and I would say very quickly too with the, uh, the reviews, if you don't listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave it on, on, the, on the platform you listen to because even that can grow listenership too. So uh, we would love and appreciate that. We just pay most attention to Spotify and Apple Podcasts because that's the greatest uh, community of listenership. So We'd love for you to do that. It's fun to see those numbers tick up. So thank you for leaving those reviews. Uh, yes, we are jumping into the first, the historical books. Uh, Joshua launches us into a new section of this Old Testament, uh, this Old Testament, the Old Testament. Um, it this, is this particular Old it Testament. It is interesting. I did read something about um, even the, I don't remember if it's the original Hebrew uh scriptures or whatever. Um, but there's, there has been some debate about where, where Joshua fits in, whether they, some attribute it back to the Pentateuch and they don't call it the Pentateuch, they call it the Hexateuch or whatever it is, um, which would be like the six, the first six books of the Bible. Um, but it, 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 for basic canon, for biblical canon, how we have it now, it is part of the historical books. It's the launch of the historical books. Um, it's named after the prominent leader of Israel, which is obviously Joshua. Um, and, and it will describe throughout its entirety of the 24 chapters, uh, the history of this generation that crossed the Jordan River and entered the promised land of Canaan. Uh, we'll see Joshua lead God's people to defeat uh, the adversaries in the promised land who opposed God's people. Uh, and then he'll also oversee the divisions of the land into tribal allotments um, and renew the covenant between God and people. And so that's kind of the entirety of what happens in the book of Joshua. Um, it isn't entirely clear who authored the book, just a heads up. Um, if it wasn't Joshua himself, which most people attribute the the authorship to him, uh, it would have been someone obviously very close that would have been able to uh, detail all of the things that he did as, in his leadership. So, but it's not clear. I mean, you don't, we don't have, I think historical tradition attributes it to Joshua, uh, but it's technically anonymous. We don't have an authorship to it. So, right. You can see, you can see from the way it's written though, that it's clearly a, uh, it's a contemporary work. Like yes, this is assembled absolutely. Yeah. right as it's going on. And it takes place right after the immediate death of Moses. So you've got the 30 days of mourning grieving, uh, and it does take place. Then, and then it's like the grieving happens. Uh, and so this isn't like months or years. If you remember Leviticus in, in numbers, um, it really cap cap and captured, sorry, the, uh, first year was Leviticus after the the Exodus wilderness uh, being delivered, not the wilderness, sorry, being delivered from Egypt. Then it launched the year of establishing and preparing God's people to move through the wilderness. And then the next 38 years, 39 years is the wilderness journey, which brings them to this point. Uh, and so this one is literally, I would say, moments to days after the death of Moses, not months to years, as we've seen. Um You'll see for our reading this week, there's two kind of section breakdowns I would offer. One is from chapter 1 to 5, verse 12, which focuses on the preparation of moving God's people into the promised land uh, and the work that's required to get them ready to take over the land and start that conquest. Uh, and then you see chapter 5, verse 13, all the way to chapter 12, verse 24, even though we're only reading to chapter 6, it will literally give you the, the battles in the land, the conquest of the, the promised land. Um, and so we see in chapter one that, that it details the official torch being passed after Moses' death. And so obviously, like I said, you can't read Joshua without at least taking a moment on our podcast to read uh, these. This is almost like Jeremiah where Jeremiah, no, I saw Isaiah and Jeremiah does too, has these unique call of God moments. Um, you see that here with Joshua as well in chapter one. It says one, starting in verse one, it says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. It's it's ironic to me as I read it. Um, it feels so flat. God's the way the way that God is is said to have spoken. Now, again, this is reading text. It's not you don't have the tone of the moment, but like Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Okay, now it's time for all you. It, it just it just carries this fun yeah. I, comical thing in my mind as I read it. Well, it's funny because like in my head, I kind of imagine that it's. I, this probably happens. The way I'm reading this is that this is af- after the 30 days of mourning. So mm-hmm. clearly, the death of Moses has already been announced. Yep. Um, the grieving period is over, right? And so it's, it's time to move. Yeah, it's this next step of like, okay, Moses is gone. It's time to it's time to move forward. Now you and all the people prepare to cross the Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like. Um, yeah, I remember. Um, I guess this is kind of a personal story, but um, I remember my dad was talking about how um, when when my grandpa died. He was talking about like he got the news and uh, his his brother, my uncle, is the one who called him and kind of told him what was happening. And so like you know, my dad's like a little bit in in uh, like you know shock like when that when that sort of thing happens and it was expected. But um, he was talking about how my uncle was like, okay, well, like you know, Tom, like you, you, all right, it's time you got to go. Like you got to go, basically go be with grandma and that sort of thing. And he's like, okay, yep. And so it's, it almost feels like that to me, where it's like taking that period mm-hmm. of mourning and then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well now like. There's something that has to be done, and yep. it, it kind of feels that way to time me. Time to move here. on. Yep, it's not okay. move on, but it's time to move. Yeah, it's time to it's time to do what you've been called yep. to do. Yep, and that and that's what and what happens in verse two. And uh, God says to, to Joshua, "I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses." Like this, this is just like a, uh, if God were to establish anybody's call, the clarity that He gives Joshua is so is so poignant to me. So. Um, and, and it's interesting because at the end, like he talks about in verse seven, I'll get to it. But at this point, he's saying, hey, I've given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory, and I love that he sets boundaries already, uh, will be from the wilderness of Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites in the west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Verse six, we all know this verse, whether we know it or not. It says, be strong and courageous. For you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left, so that you will be success. Well, you will have success wherever you go. The book of instruction you must not de- or must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate it on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is going, is with you wherever you go. I feel like Joshua needs a little bit of a pep talk is what Apparently, it comes down yeah. to. So, uh, and so that's why I think you see some of the repetitiveness repetitiveness of this, this phrase of be strong and courageous is because Joshua is doing something he saw his predecessor, who even as you read the end of Deuteronomy, where there's no one greater than Moses, he's stepping into those shoes and it's like, well, wait a minute, I have to do that? I have to lead this? I have... I have to go into the Concos. He was in, remember, he was one of the spies that went into Canaan the first time and saw the land that they were going to inherit. He came back with the affirmation along, he affirmed Caleb's affirmation because Caleb was the one that spoke it, that we'll do this. God is great. We'll be able to take take hold of this land. But still there was some trepidation. So I, I appreciate that in this moment, I feel like there's the humanity of Joshua being revealed in this command that God is giving Joshua and being strong and very courageous. Well, my mind goes to a couple different examples too, where I think like in the world of sports, I think one of the big things you have is um, like the legendary NFL quarterback. And all of a sudden you're the one who has to take over mm-hmm. after that person's left. And so you see, and sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it doesn't go really well. Um, but even in like leadership, I was thinking about um, 
like almost in this, I don't know, this is like nerdy history stuff, but like thinking about like how Harry Truman must have felt after Franklin Roosevelt died and you're still in the midst of World War II and now you have to make all of these decisions and it's like, okay, this is it. Like, it's kind of like, it. I, I understand why Joshua needed to be reminded time and time again to be strong and courageous because as the end of Deuteronomy said, there has never been a prophet like Moses and there never, and there wouldn't be again. Mm -hmm. This is the, is one of the greatest men in the history of Israel. He has led the people of Israel, obviously under, under Yahweh, but out of captivity in Egypt and right on the precipice of the land. Like those are some big shoes to fill. And so I, I totally get Joshua needing to kind of have God say, Hey, Hey, you got this. I'm with you. I got this. Time to go. Just trust the law. Keep it close to your heart. Don't mm-hmm. drift from it. Like, yeah. And so I think there's value. And even today, like may, we may not be, ste- like for us practically, right? We may not be stepping into massive shoes to fill. But when we step into a new chapter or a new season or a new position or a new whatever, there's all sorts of fear and concern. And the, the confidence that we have from God's clarity and God's provision and faithfulness, again, Deuteronomy 31.8, that he personally goes ahead of us. There's, there's, a, there's a, a source of hope and peace that we have in walking forward. And I just love that tension. I love the fact that even in Joshua and all the great the great things that he was able to do through God's call and election, for him as the leader, it's, it's pretty remarkable. But this, the humanity of that moment is really cool too. Um, and so we see after this call, he then says, and then he goes and prepares the people of God, telling them, hey, get your supplies ready, get yourselves in order, because in three days, it's go time. In three days, we are crossing the land, we're, we are starting the conquest. Um, and so we see in chapter two that it details the account of spies once more being sent into the promised land. This is the second group of spies. Um, yet this time they're sent directly to Jericho because that's the the, the land right across um, the Jordan River, the next territory. And this time there's only two people sent. Um, now, whether that was a strategic change or not, <laughs> I don't know. But only two people were sent probably because they had to be hidden within the city because they were going into the actual city. Uh, and we get... Yeah, I, I, was, I like to think that Joshua was thinking back. You know, twelve was a bit overkill. We only <laughs> we only needed two that last time around. It's like Let's he's vetting him. Hey, you're gonna say yes to this, right? You're gonna okay. You guys go. Like, okay, all right, get out of here. <laughs> and Caleb, who should we choose? Um, so two two spies go in. They uh, show up at a prostitute's house named Rahab. Now, if you are have read the book of Matthew, you see Rahab is in the name in the lineage of Jesus. Uh, Spoilers, but it's it's a significant thing too. Anyways, uh, this is part of the reason why is because Rahab uh, say or hides them. It saves them. The city officials and law enforcement, if you will, come because they want to take them prisoner. Uh, They want to find out the plans. They want, in essence, protect their territory. Uh, And Rahab says, "Uh, they did come, but then they left and they left this way. Um, And there was an agreement made between Rahab and these spies of you protect us, we'll protect you. Um, And anybody in your house, Rahab, we will we will not we will not kill or take captive or hostage when we conquer Jericho. Um, And let me be clear for a second. If you don't know this, uh, and I don't want to presume that everybody knows this, Jericho was not some small little podunk town. Jericho had massive walls. Oh, yeah. They were very well fortified. I mean, they were one of the first large cities on the west side of the Jordan. So they had prime location, prime real estate. And so they had they had to shore up their defenses. And they were a formidable place. Like, they, they, they weren't just – they weren't AI, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but they were a large city – very well secure and fortified. And we're going to be able to last 
if they were to shut their gates and no one comes in or out for a long time, they would they would stand the test of time because of the way that they established their city. Well, I think it's so hard for us as particularly Americans to imagine this because even like if you live in Europe, the the cities you live in are probably not walled up anymore. Mm-hmm. But you can go see the walled cities of yeah. like you know, or even you can go see castles in certain areas. Um, I shouldn't just say Europe; in most parts of the world, you can see fortifications that existed many many generations ago. Um, over here, it's a little bit different, where like. There's no walls any, hey, anywhere. There's in a New wall. York. Yeah. There's no. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. That was, oh, guess, that was a yeah. political joke. No, yeah, that's fair. Like, when, you, when you get, <laughs> we're not south, a political podcast, but there was um, a wall. But yeah, like like as we live in, we live in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. There's really not that many. There's defenses, but there's no walls. The yeah. defenses that we see aren't really there. I always joke about there's a peace arch on the border <laughs> between the U.S. and Canada, and every time I drive by it, I like Ashley hates it because I'm just like it's a reminder of the fact that the our great nations of the United States and Canada now live in peace instead of like, as if like, it was just like massive wars that we were always fighting. Um, but re- yeah, it's remembering at this point that power is centralized in these cities. Mm-hmm. Um, the surrounding land, if anything happened, you ran to the city and you took refuge within yep. the walls. And so to conquer land, it's not about invading a nation as much as it is about conquering a city. And then once you hold that city, all the land around it is basically able to be held because of that. Um, And so Jericho, like you said, is, is one of the most fortified cities in the ancient near East. It's very powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a, there's a territory that's much larger um, in, in the conquest, but this is, this is easily one of the, one of the most fortified anyways. Um, so the the spies go, they're hidden, they escape. Their Rahab says, "Hey, go hide in the, the hills over there in the woods. When they when these guys come back after where I send them, then you run back and flee. As long as she upholds her side of it, then they'll uphold their side of it. Where her and anybody in her house from her family will be protected." Um, they go back, the spies go back, give the report. Chapters three and four then detail uh, what I would say is probably an incredible story um, where God. Uh, where God stopped the flow of the Jordan River, uh, which was at flood stage at this point. So the banks were overflowing. The river was was not a, a very easily passable uh, river at this time. Um, but the Israelites were once again able to walk across dry land because God stops the flow. Um, the Israelites in this journey are told uh, to have one man from each tribe mem- or tr- each tribe to grab a rock uh, from the bottom of the riverbed. Uh, when they get to the other side, they create a memorial uh, on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, and this is to serve as a reminder for the generations to come. It's even detailed or, or said specifically, like, when one of your children asks, what are these rocks here for? You are then to communicate. This is how God, this is a reminder of God stopping the flow of the Jordan River uh, and allowing them to walk over on dry land. Uh, so you see that in chapter three and four, as they are moving over, they cross the Jordan River. Um, and in chapter five, we then see them take a moment to take the camp at what is called Gilgal. Um, so they camp on the Western side of the Jordan River. Um, and the opening, I, I love this, this part of Joshua chapter five. It's the opening verse uh, of chapter five it says this, when all the Amorites came, all the Amorite Kings across the Jordan to the West and all the Canaanite Kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up, in essence, all of the kings in the territory that they're about to take over, had seen or had heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. They lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. Now, here's the deal. The Israelites don't know this right off the bat. (laughs) True. Uh, But we see this incredible moment, like based upon God's deliverance, based upon God's provision, the, the territories and the kings of these territories, they lost heart 
and they had no courage. They literally, it's like, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. There's no way we're going to overcome. And you'll notice it's because it happens not after some great battle where the Israelites defeat like one of the Canaanite kings. It doesn't say like when the Israelites defeated Og and Sihon and mm-hmm. I forgot the other, they get the king of the Amorites. It's after, it's very clearly demonstrated that, oh, the God of the Israelites means business and he can control and he can control the flow of the Jordan. Um, as we see in Joshua and Judges, most of the battles are set up in a way that it's very clear this is not the Israelites winning a victory. It is God delivering mm-hmm. another nation into the hands of the Israelites. Yes. Um, so you have this moment where where you have this incredible verse, but then you have God talks to Joshua and says, hey, I want you to reinstate the covenant agreement of circumcision. Uh, because all of, the, all of the, the, the sons who wandered in the wilderness, they didn't get circumcised. So they're much older now. Oh, that's bummer. Uh, <laughs> and so, ouch. And so they go, they go to camp at Gilgal, and God says, "Hey, I want you to sharpen some flint knives, and you need to circumcise all the men." Uh, and so they all get circumcised, uh, and after they recover from this, they observe Passover. Um, and this was, I thought, and I actually didn't pick it up till this morning when I was kind of re- rereading and reviewing quickly, uh, putting my notes together. Um, that after Passover, and they ate the unleavened bread, the manna stopped. Up until this point, oh. throughout the wilderness, they were still receiving manna. But when they moved across the Jordan River, which is this, like it's 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 almost like the period to God's wilderness journey with them, which we can see that now. Um, but the manna stopped, and it says very specifically in in chapter five that the manna stopped, and now they lived on the, they lived off the crops for the next year in the land of Canaan. They lived off of them. They no longer had manna because God didn't need to do it anymore. He brought them to the land. He yeah, promised you're them. You're here. Which, was, which I thought was such like a, it's such a subtle uh, uh, part in chapter five that I think is profound. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable to think uh, in that moment. Um, and I, I will say this, taking a little, little, little bit of liberty here. Um, there's something significant about, I think, God's directing the Israelite people through bodies of water that are not easily controlled. Um, when God delivered, and this is all my conjecture as I'm processing and as I'm reading scripture, I'm just like, okay, man, this, these are incredible moments. When God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he brought them through the Red Sea, which there was no way that they were going to be able to ford the Red Sea fast enough to get away from Pharaoh, except by a miraculous act of God. And then the water sealed up behind them. There's no going back to, to, the, to Egypt after that moment. And you fast forward to, to the Jordan River. Now, it may not be as massive a, as a body of the Red Sea, but it's still not easily pass, pass, passable. And so God stops the flow of the Jordan River, which is a phenomenal miracle. And the Israelites can walk across on dry ground to grab a rock from the riverbed at the bottom of the river and bring it across. And then the river flows again. There's no returning easily in that moment, especially the stage of the river and the flood stage it was in. Now, we know God's people... In the Gat and the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they end up heading back across the Jordan River after the conquest is completed because they already have the territory on the east side of the Jordan River. Um, but I would I would venture to say, speculate if you will, that I don't think the flood the river was at flood stage when that happened when they went back across the land mm-hmm. um, because I just think there's something significant about um, something that's so uncontrollable. I think God establishes and shows Himself to be 
fire, wind, earthquake, whatever, things that we cannot control ourselves, the storm, something we can't control either. And even culturally, something about the bodies of water, sea, storms, it's it's act of God when storms arise. So I just think there was something significant, and I think it is something significant to see that God brings his people to a point and then seals off the ability to backtrack and run away. Well, remember too, the the pl- the the place in the mind of the ancient Near East person that water held. Um, and we see in, in the creation myths of the ancient Near East, it, it usually involves um, the uh, some sort of primordial chaos monster that is kind of the god of water being subdued mm-hmm. by by order. Yeah. Uh, and even in Genesis, right? We look back and what is the spirit of God doing in the midst of chaos? It's hovering over the space uh, or he's hovering over the the waters. And it's because even in the even in the period of, of when earth is at its most chaotic, that's what's there. It's the waters. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? In the imagination, again, like trying to put yourself into the mind of an ancient person, that is what water represents. It's chaos. It's what you need in order to advance. Like you have to sail in order to get places and to and to have trade and to build civilization. Um, but that is also like one of the, from anywhere from the rivers, like you have to go to the Nile to get water. You also it's, it's, it has crocodiles and you could very easily die. Um, you have to sail across the Mediterranean Sea, which is much more calm than the open ocean in other parts of the world. But still, you're going to have shipwrecks. You're going to have giant mm-hmm. creatures in, in the sea that are terrifying. And so, I yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's a mistake that one of the forces of nature that God clearly shows time and time again that he has control over is water. Yeah. Because in the, in the mind of the ancient Near East, person that would have been the most terrifying of the elements and it would have shown the power of God that he the power of Yahweh that he has complete control over the waters of the earth yep uh, and so after this moment after the circumcision happened after Passover is finished after manna stops after they're eating on the crops uh, you have this moment where Joshua is uh, and I again I didn't even pick up on this either until I, I reviewed some things uh, but Joshua was scouting out the land of Jericho. Um, he knew that this was the next place he was going to conquer. So he's there scouting at the land of Jericho. And then he uh, has this encounter with an angel of the Lord, uh, the, the commander of the Lord's army, uh, which we see it, it, all throughout the Old Testament. There's, there's glimpses and moments uh, of what's called a Christophany. I think we talked about this in, in a, pr- a few previous podcast this year. Um, if we haven't, let me reiterate it. Christophanies are moments that, uh, in essence, they're... Uh, in essence, they're representations, angel uh, that would refer, refer to Christ being revealed as an angel of the Lord in those moments. In the Old Testament. In the Old Testament specifically. Before he, this is before he becomes human, his human form, his human body. Um, and so in this moment, based upon Joshua's response, which is what I'll read here in a second, um, we can understand and, and ascertain that this is a Christophany as well, that it's actually Jesus uh, in his, in his eternal form showing up uh, and encountering Joshua as Joshua scoping out from a distance the city of Jericho. Uh, it says this in, in chapter 5, verse 13. It says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. This has allusions back to Balaam as well, with Balaam on his donkey, uh, where Balaam's donkey saw a man with a drawn sword as well. Um, now, I don't, I didn't look into it then. I think you talked about that portion, but I'm not sure if that was Christophany in, with Balaam in that encounter. Um, but anyways, I would... I would venture to say potentially, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, So Joshua asked him and approached him and asked him, are you for us or our enemies? Uh, Which is such a good question. Like, uh, do I need to prepare for battle now? Uh, And and neither is what what, what Jesus replied. He replied, 
I have now, I've now come as a commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? And this is where I think we can get the clear indication that this is an actual Christophany because if it was an angel of God, Gabriel, Michael, whoever, they were always very clear, don't worship me. Uh, and so the fact that Joshua bowed down and worshiped him and there's not a rebuke here is a strong indication that it's actually Christ. Right. Um, and so then his response in worship, his face to the ground, what does the Lord want to say to my servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you were standing is holy. Again, allusions to Moses and the burning bush. Um, and Joshua did that. And so there's this incredible encounter as Joshua is scoping out the land that Jesus shows up. Joshua, or it's revealed to Joshua that he is the commander of the Lord's army. He falls in worship and responds. Uh, and then there's direction as far as what to do uh, in taking over Jericho. And we see in chapter six that, that these are the, the details for the conquest of Jericho, uh, where they march around, they're commanded to march around the city one time for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. They're not supposed to say anything, that the Levites are supposed to walk with trumpets and blast the trumpets. And when there's one loud, large trumpet blast and Joshua shouts out, shout, um, the Israelite people shout together, all the, you know, the, the, the song, right? The walls come tumbling down. And down, the walls down. came tumbling down. So it's a good one. It is a good one. That's I, funny because I don't remember all of it, but I remember that speak, moment. Speaking of, it. of our childhood, my mind immediately went to the French peas throwing slushies from VeggieTales, insulting. I know it's never it's, watched it. It was a little bit after your time, but it's it, just, it always sticks out to me. So, so the walls come something down, and I will say this: except Rahab's home. Now, Rahab lived in the city walls. She had a window outside the wall. Uh, her family was in this because she had the the, the scarlet cord. Um, she protected the Israelite spies. They protected her in turn. So when the walls came down, not Rahab's house, which is interesting too. Um, so then jo or Joshua then submits a curse. Um, I will say this. Let me stop for a second. Um, I was reading through my archaeological study Bible, which I don't open very often, and I probably should open more because there's a whole lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, talk about a nerd. I should push my glasses up, even though I don't wear hey, them. Archaeology is a good time. Um, but one of the things that it talked about is the, as in the archaeological dig of the site of Jericho, um, as they put ac across historical timelines, um, that it shows, his archaeological evidence reveals that there actually was a, a, an earthquake about the time of the J city of Jericho walls falling, uh, which I thought was so incredible because even as I read further, going back to the Jordan River, uh, one of the things that happened a lot where, the, where this part of uh, the world is, where the Jordan River is, uh, where Jericho sits, there was a lot of actual earthquake activity in that region. Uh, and so sometimes even there would be earthquakes that would cause uh, the river to be dammed up. And so I think one of the reports I've read from th that that snapshot or that short little uh, excerpt was uh, that like even at one point, some some blockage, like landslides, whatever, blocked the river for like 21 days. Um, and so there's something to be said about like the simple fact that <laughs> An earthquake happened around the time of Jericho being conquered is pretty remarkable and incredible. And I will say this because it then the skeptic in me then is like, well, then it wasn't really an act of God. That's not true at all. Uh, because we see all throughout the Old Testament, even when Elijah is having this encounter, which we'll get to eventually, um, with God, that there was an earthquake, there was a fire, there was a windstorm. And all of them precursored God's arrival and God's voice being spoken in a still small whisper. Um, and so these are not like, skeptical things about God's provision and work and seeing the walls come tumbling down, but they're an active 
part of how God could have provided victory and deliverance over, over the people of Jericho in this moment. So the walls come tumbling down. There's potentially probably an earthquake around this time. The walls are down and all of a sudden God's people take over the, the, the land of Jericho. Um, Rahab and her family is safe. Um, and, and we have the first conquest victory that happens in chapter six. Now, chapter seven, I say, I start off with how quickly the Israelites forget. Classic. Um, the next we see is a, a fight with this little tribe called AI of a, a city called AI. Um, this is how I've always pronounced it. It probably isn't necessarily that way. But Artificial intelligence. Yes. AI. Um, but because of the disobedience, and I, I say this of one man, uh, what was very clearly told when it comes to conquering, uh, Jericho was to not take any plunder for yourself. Not all the plunder is supposed to go towards the treasury. In essence, you keep it for God's purposes. One man decided he saw something in this chapter seven here, details all of these conversation, all these conversations. And because he coveted something that was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, Israel sends a small battalion of people to fight AI because it was a small tribe. Oh, we don't, the, and literally the conversation was, let's not wear out all of our all of our warriors just send a small party there to go destroy the, the city because it's not very difficult. AI kicks their butts. They all run. They all flee. And they're defeated because of this sin. And and what I mean by that is we have this moment where Joshua, after Israel's defeat, falls down. And it, it actually brings me of, of images of Moses' lament and crying out to God like, why did you let? Why did you bring these people out of Egypt? Why am I the leader? Um, but the tone here is a little different and when I when I read it at least. Where Joshua is seriously like, God, why, why, why did we, why did we come here only to be defeated by this town? Uh, and I love God's response. Why are you, why are you crying? Stand up, uh, and and then explain to him, Israel sinned. That's why you got defeated. You didn't remain faithful to what I commanded. And then there's this. I would say it's almost like this dramatic thing, where God has all the people come by one by one, and He highlights a tribe. And then out of that tribe, it highlights a family. And then out of that family, it highlights a, uh, a, a, a an even smaller family um, to where we find out it's Achan, who is of the tribe of Judah, um, of the family of Zabdi. And he is the one that held and coveted uh, that which was not to belong to him. He is pulled out of camp uh, because God commands him, hey, when you find the person, take him out of camp, kill him, uh, and then let me absolve you of the sin. And so he does this and Israelites pulls Achan out, they, they kill him. Um, and then we see this little, at this point in the week's reading, we're going to have this excerpt of First Chronicles, just a heads up. Um, and it's literally a tag relating to Achan uh, or Achar in Chronicles. It actually is the Achar son of Zabdi, um, son of Zeor or, or the family lineage. Um, and it's just connecting him to the family uh, in Chronicles as there's a recap and there's connections to different places. You'll just see that little tag that happens in, in second or First Chronicles there. Um, so then... Achan's sin is, is absolved for, they go back to AI with a shifty plan and set an ambush and they end up conquering AI. Uh, Joshua then builds an altar, offers sacrifices, reads the entire law of Moses, and it was done as an aspect of worship and repentance to the Lord. And this is what fulfills uh, Deuteronomy 27, I believe, where it talks about the command to, to offer sacrifices at Shechem, uh, at Mount Ebal. Um, I believe that's where it was, right? Chapter 27. I'm scrolling back up to look real quick. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. When the, yeah the, um, but this the, is where Moses, if you remember when Evan was talking, Moses, I uh, was very clear, this is where you are to offer sacrifices. And this comes right after they defeat AI finally. 
Um, and so it is this, it's, it's this repentance. It's almost like this reminder and renewal as God's, or as they are continuing the conquest. Um, chapter nine, I say this way, shows the fragility of Joshua and its leaders uh, with this Gibeonite deception that happens. Um, the Gibeonites are a, a group of people that live three days away, uh, but they dece- de- deceive the Israelite leaders. Um, and everything I said this way, everything seemed to be going right in their evaluation, but one thing they missed. And so I want to read this uh, chunk of scripture for a second. Um, it says in verse 13 of chapter nine, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively. They gathered provisions and took worn out sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. So they're back at camp on the other side of the Jordan. And this tribe, which is three days away, shows up at camp, says, please make a treaty with us. The men of Israel replied to the Hivites, says, well, yeah, let's evaluate. Perhaps you live among us. How can we make a treaty with you? Then Joshua said, or they said to Joshua, we are your servants. Then Joshua asked them, who are you and where do you come from? They replied to him, your servants have come from a faraway land because of the reputation of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two Amorite kings beyond the Jordan, King Sion of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who was in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our inhabitants of our land told us, take provisions with you for the journey. Go and meet them and say, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. The bread of ours was warm when we took it from our houses as food on the day we left to come to you. Liars. But now, see, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. But see, they are cracked. Liar. And the clothes they and our sandals are worn out from our extremely long journey. Liar. Come then the, on. Then the men of Israel took some other provisions. But did not seek the Lord's decision. So Joshua established peace with him and made a treaty to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore an oath to them. I say all of that to say I walked them through. It shows, and I say this shows the fragility of Joshua and his leaders where they're doing, they're taking the right steps. Let's just be honest. They're taking the right steps. They're asking the right questions, trying to vet and evaluate the appearance. And even in asking these questions shows the skeptic in them like, well, wait a minute. How do we know you don't live among us? And this one simple phrase is the one thing they missed. And this is in verse 14. It says, the men took, if Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not seek the Lord's decision. And then they make a peace treaty and they find out days later uh, that the Gibeonites were actually local uh, and Joshua was mad with them. But because the leadership made a decision not to go in a peace treaty, they couldn't kill them. They decided not to kill them. The people of Israel are grumbling about the leadership of Israel. Uh, and it, it's this perfect little tension of ignorance that I would say. I got to say, kudos to the Gibeonites, though. Because here's, <laughs> yeah, here's, right? here's the thing. You've wa- I, the thing I never understood is like, boy, every single city is being destroyed. Every single like people group is being completely wiped out. And all the kings are just like, what if I tried to do the exact same thing that every other king has done? At least the Gibeonites thought to themselves like, hey, maybe, no, no this is crazy. What if we tried to make peace <laughs> with them instead? And like, obviously they're using deception for it. Um, it's not a great thing, but like, I guess from the from the mind of the Gibeonites, that's probably this is your best play. Yeah. So kudos to them for making it, I suppose. Yeah. So it, it's just ignorance. It's just they they should have asked God. We know that in hindsight. But how many times do I make decisions without asking God? We'll leave it there for a second. Um, chapter ten, uh, and we're kind of coming to the end of our reading this week. Chapter ten tells what I would say is an incredible account. 
Um, the Gibeonites were under attack, and because there was a peace treaty between Israel and Gibeon, they sent for Joshua to come and help them fight against five kings who joined them, uh, joined against, uh, joined together to fight Gibeon. Um, got the Israelites show up. Joshua hears from God. God promises to bring victory. Um, and through confusion, the, the kingdoms are fighting against themselves, kill themselves. And then God brought large hailstones down and killed them as they fled. Um, not Israel or Gibeon, but the, the five kings that are teamed up against Joshua and Gibeon um, subsequently. And, and it says that Joshua and the Israelites surprised them, which led them to con- be confused. They attacked themselves. And then there was a bunch of ha- hailstones that came down. And like, not a little. So I lived in, in Virginia for 10 years. I don't know if you've ever experienced like hailstones. Like, not, not hail, hail. <laughs> dude, like, I mean, I'm talking golf ball size hail. I remember walking up to the little strip mall to get my hair cut where I normally do. It's like a 10 minute walk from my house. I remember one day it was just hailing and it wasn't even golf ball size. It was actually smaller than that. But dude, these suckers did not feel good when they hit you. <laughs> so I can't imagine the large hailstones that God would throw from heaven uh, and kill them. And I love this verse or this phrase in verse 11, where it says more died from the hailstones than by the Israelite swords, um, which is again, just God flexing saying, I got you. I'm the, I'm the reason for victory. Um, and then there's this moment. It was just a part of the incredible account. Did you want to say something? Well, I was going to say, I just imagined the Gibeonites like just high fiving, <laughs> like, "Hey, great job, everybody!" Like, whoever, chest bumping and yeah. Whoever suggested that, like, let's trick the Israelites into a into a treaty, like, let's make him king forever. Dude. This guy's awesome. Dude. Way to go! Like, too small, too small. Anyways, um, but then the, I, and I say it's an incredible comp, not just because of God. I, I think it's incredible because first off, God honored the treaty that was made in ignorance. Um, God provided and and rescued. And part of it is like, I think God was going to conquer the lands anyways. <laughs> so he killed off the people they did with these hailstones. Uh, but then there's a moment where uh, Joshua calls for the sun and to the moon to stand still. And it does, which is so crazy to me. Um, and, and typically in, in the heat of the day, battles don't happen. Um, so when, when uh, these five kingdoms were camped, um, I can't remember where they were camped. I should have written that down. Um, but their camp, it says Joshua showed up and surprised them because uh, they arrived at their camp. And it wasn't it wasn't the heat of the day, but it wasn't the cool of the day either. Typically, battles would happen in the morning. When it got too hot, they would stop and cease because of the weather, because it, it's just dangerous for everybody to die from dehydration and all these different things. And then maybe in the cool of the day, at, at when, when dusk is happening or dawn, it would, again, that was when the battle would resume or whatever. So all of that to say, Joshua, as he's finishing up the destruction, leading God's people to destroy uh, all of the people of these kingdoms, he calls for the sun and the moon to stand still, and it does. And it's and some scholars, I, I'm not scholars, some people have commented, I saw, um, that this is a moment where Joshua's praying to like the sun and the moon as deities, um, which actually isn't true at all. He's actually has had a conversation, he's, he's praying to God and is given the authority to call the sun and the moon to stand still. It does. It enables them to finish the destruction of these kingdoms, uh, and that and that's the reason why. So the the sun and the moon stand still, prolonged. This is for about a day. Uh, whether we view a day as a twenty four hour period of time, it's probably more realistic to be um, what they would refer to as a day is like what is it evening to evening or something like that, or morning to mor- whatever. Uh, so it's not like a full twelve a.m. to eleven fifty nine p.m. The way that they call or refer to days is a little bit different than how we do technically. Because I have 
I have this really like, I don't know, pedantic, I guess, problem where like, I hate it when people say like one in the morning, because it's not the morning. The morning is defined by the sun. It's 1am. <laughs> that's fine. But like, I don't know. Every time, like if you ever talk to me Listen, and you say that- My just daughter know, was born at 2.34 in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. Just know like, I won't, I, w- I won't say anything audibly, but just know that I'll be annoyed if someone You'll be like, said, in your head. Three Perfect. in the morning. What a farce. <laughs> uh, sure. Great. Um, and then after this, after this, uh, he finds that the and in this call to for the sun and moon to stand still, the Israelites are chasing uh, the kingdoms and and their but their kings all hide together in a cave. The Israelites find they report back to Joshua. Joshua says, "Hey, roll a big stone over them, put some people on guard, but go finish killing the other people." Uh, and so they finish all this. Joshua shows up to the cave. They roll the stone away. They pull out the kings. They execute the kings. Uh, and kind of a dramatic ordeal where, <coughs> excuse me, that was weird. Whoa there. Some just caught my throat. Um, where Joseph elects some of the tribe leaders uh, to put their foot on the throat of one of these kings and says, "Hey, this is how God is going to route out uh, the kingdoms that we will come in contact with." Um, and so then, this is all happening in chapter ten. Um, kings are executed, and then we find the rest of chapter ten details the summary of the conquest of the southern cities, um, and it, and it hinges, and it's very clear that the Lord brought them victory. Um, we see chapter eleven details the conquest of the northern cities uh, and then provides the summary of all of the conquests that have happened uh, and then just makes a simple line that Joshua took the entire land. And this is where, as we're shifting into chapter 12, we're only going to read six verses this week, but this is where you see the conquest of the promised land is wrapping up in the first 12 chapters. We will have read the entire conquest of the promised land. And we find out later in some of the other chapters that there's still some lands to be conquered, but the bulk of the land that needed to be conquered for the inhabitants to inhabit it at this point in Joshua have been completed. Uh, And so we see chapter 12, uh, verse one through six, talks about the lands that are conquered to the east of the Jordan and the tribes that received their land, which is a little bit of rehashing from Deuteronomy. Um, And then we'll see as we jump in next week through the rest of chapter 12, it talks about the the western side of the Jordan and the the lands that are conquered and the inhabitants and how the tribes that received their land. Um, But that's where we end with Joshua this week is the conquest is accomplished. And the, the tribe will start to be allot, allotted to the tribe leaders uh, and the families. And then we'll get into the other details in next week. Boom. All right. Well, we did have a, uh, I guess we have two more books to go through. In First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7, we get the son of Carmi, Achan, the troubler of Israel, who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing. All right, so now in Psalms yeah. we and, have- that, and that's the tag that I referred to back in in J- Joshua, I guess that's chapter true. seven. So that, but that is that's literally all you read. That's just that in, one little verse in First Chronicles. So it is funny how like yeah, we sprinkle in a bunch of chronicles early on in this chronological plan, and it's just it's mostly just like the little census things. But hey, yeah. it's good to know this is where it's all happening. Yep. Uh, but Psalm ninety also is this week. It is our first Psalm, and it's the only Psalm written by Moses. Yeah. So pretty cool. It's pretty there. rare. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple different themes that are explored. So. Um, I just thought this was interesting. So the first two verses, it's, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Um, Obviously, this is true. I did think it was interesting that Moses, though, uh, who is most, he, he is famous for being the leader of Israel at the time when the covenant is established with them, with that nation that he's talking about how God is God for all time 
and over all peoples. Um, so obviously that, I, that's not, that's something that Moses would have believed. It's not like a contradiction or anything. I just thought it was kind of interesting that Moses is the one saying that there in those moments. Um, another thing that's explored is that God has control over life and death and his wrath over sin is righteous. So essentially when God punishes sin, that's not a wrong thing. We'll talk about that from, or that you'll read that in verses three through 11. Um, and then finally from verses 12 to 17, and I thought I thought this was really interesting. We'll talk about this. Spoilers. We'll talk about this a little more in the application section. Um, but asking God to remind us of our own mortality and to gain wisdom from the wrath of God. And so those verses are, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So, yeah, I just thought that was a really cool, yeah, really cool moment there. But that's Psalm ninety, uh, really interesting. We're gonna get a, into a lot of the Psalms it's coming up. <laughs> yeah, it was, I'm really excited for this next portion of the reading plan that we're getting into. Where and we still have a little bit because we're gonna go through all of Joshua. We're gonna go through all of Judges as well. Um, but then we're really gonna get to see when we get into Samuel and Kings how all of it fits together because yeah. we're going to be there for a really long time and it's all of the <laughs> buckle up <laughs> yeah the psalms and the prophetic books and we're going to get to get to see like all these different stories as it's happening so i think it's gonna be really cool yeah uh but that does wrap it up for the bible section of today's podcast but first well not guess not first but our next section we do want to talk about aaron what did we uh what did we learn today yeah, so I, I, it's funny, in my notes, I left it blank. Um, not because I wasn't thinking about an application, but because as I was working through it, uh, there's so many different layers to the conversation here. Um, but I just keep coming back to the, the one mistake that Joshua made with the Gibeonites, is they didn't inquire of the Lord. Um, and I think that, I mean, the basic print application here is, is how often do we inquire of the Lord when it comes to decisions being made? Um, when it comes to whether I should go to the left or to the right, whether I should make this decision or that decision. And I think in big decisions, we oftentimes, if we're followers of Christ, will make a plea to the Lord. Um, but I would say in this decision, this conversation, it, it was a big decision, but it was also probably an easier decision for Joshua based upon what he knew and what he ascertained from a situation. It's he did the diligence, asked the questions, evaluated the people, and determined based upon conversation that what they said was true. And based upon that conversation mean that they were from a long distance away that they most likely did not inhabit the promised land that God had given them. So this, these are all the things that I could see happen in Joshua's mindset. Now, whether it's true or not, obviously I'm speculating here. But in Joshua's perspective, he had done the diligence to ask the questions about whether or not they were God's, they were local. If they were local, he knew point blank, we can't make a treaty with them. But the one thing he missed was asking God, what, what's your decision about this? Um, and it's just really important, I think, when it comes to our everyday walks of life, our everyday rhythms in life, are we inviting or even asking God, what's, what should I do here? When, when we're disappointed, God, I'm disappointed this didn't happen. Um, I can think of several different instances in my life. One, which both of... Oh, I, Two that come to my mind, I reacted poorly to. I responded poorly to. One was when I bought a house uh, in in Spokane when I lived there for a while. I blatantly heard the Holy Spirit say, don't buy the house. I ignored him, bought the house. I moved a year and a half later, 
we lost hundred a hundred plus dollars every month on renting it out to some friends because the market was so bad. This was back in 2011, 12. And then I sold the house, made $95 on the sale of a house. And that's not a good investment property. That's not a good return on investment. Hey, you okay? broke, you, you got money. I didn't break it. even because <laughs> the money I had to put into it for down payment, things like that. All of that to say, um, I say this very carefully, like I, I didn't hear, I didn't listen to the, to the decision of the Lord. I can even think of a, a most recent instance, sitting in a movie theater, having a bad experience, and it was just a cluster of a day. I didn't stop the, okay, Lord, what, what's, what should I do in this moment? Should I endure? Should I suck it up? It's not my experience that I wanted with this movie theater, with my seats, all of these different things. But I was so frustrated that I didn't ask clearly and I didn't want to respond obediently. So all of that to say, now, whether God was telling me to sit in the theater, both of those are two different mass situations, right? One is massively huge when it comes to buying a house. The other one is so simple and so so minimal as far as seeing a movie. Um, but I think there's something to be said about, am I willing to invite God into every decision of my life? And grow in my relationship to be able to discern yes or no. And, and it sounds so spiritual to say that, but I think how often do I take advantage of situations thinking I have the wisdom I need to make a decision I need to make versus prayerfully and humbly walking and asking a day. So I don't want to be caught not asking or inquiring of the Lord, even though I'm caught like that all the time. So I think the, the application for me is uh, being very diligent to inquire of the Lord when it comes to com- conversations or conflicts we're dealing with. Yeah, and for me, it just comes down to reading through that passage of the end of Deuteronomy and also in the Psalm of Moses, where both of them kind of get at the idea of learning through the wrath of God, or I guess to put it another way, we can learn more from pain than we can from triumph. And so remember in Deuteronomy, what's, true. what's Moses saying? He's saying, even after uh, the people of Israel have rebelled, even after they have experienced the wrath of God, God is ready to forgive. And he's reminding them to like take learn from that. And in the psalm, it's the same thing. Let's learn from those painful situations. And I think, and it also kind of harkens back to I think a big theme of Job as well. But how often, how often when we're experiencing pain, when we're experiencing hardship, do we pause and think, what could God be showing me through this? Um, and it's not a fun thing to think about, and it's not an easy thing to yeah. think about either. But I think as Christians. I think as Christians, it's an important thing to pause totally. and try and look, just like how you know we say, like when you're reading the Bible, try and look at it through the eyes of the people who read it. When we're looking at our own lives, try to look at it from God's perspective mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, I think it's a good. good thing. Well, before we wrap up today, we did have a question come in. Woo-hoo. So let's get to that. This one says, Dear Let's Read the Bible podcast host extraordinaire. Oh, thank you. Well, which one are you talking about? Hosts extraordinaire, plural. Oh, both. I heard host. Oh no, I think it's two of us. I think it's both of us. Total, total transparency. My iPad is now turned off. Oh, you're because you're just read the question, so I can answer. Oh, that's fair. Well, here we go. <laughs> uh, why in the plague of the firstborn did the firstborn of all the livestock also die? I've never understood why that was necessary. Oh, it's interesting. Uh, this is an open-handed like it's kind of conjecture. For me, as I read this question, the thing that my mind went to was showing God's supremacy. And I think if you look at the plagues, that's kind of what they're about, right? So it's um, Moses's staff is turned into a serpent and it consumes the, because the Pharaoh's Egyptians, uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians, magicians yeah, magicians. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's uh, magicians who were Egyptian uh, could also do this. And so what happens? Well, the, the serpent of Yahweh consumes the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that the Magicians of Pharaoh can also turn some blood into or some water into blood. So what is Yahweh able to do? He turns the Nile 
into yeah, blood. Yeah. Um, and so I think you kind of see this idea of constantly one-upping in areas where, it, and because it's it's clear, it's show, showing the domination of Yahweh over the false gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already talked about how a bunch of the plagues directly connect to the gods of Egypt and showing that if you think you think this god has control over this, it's not true. Yeah. Um, famously, it's the blotting out the sun is an attack on the the Egyptian god Ra, and then in this one, I think it's it's an it's an attack on uh you can I guess you can call it Osiris or Anubis, but like the the gods of death. But also though, I think f- remember that when Moses is a child, what happens? Pharaoh orders that the firstborn sons of Israel are to be put to death, and so I think this is also an attack on Pharaoh, where Pharaoh knows that he has the power to kill the firstborn of a, of a people group of a generation because he's done it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not supernaturally, but it's it's been yeah. done. And so what what do we see with this plague? A, it's not specified sons. So I yeah. think it's just firstborn in general across yeah. the board. And I think as that little extra oomph, if you will, or that little extra punch in the in the plague and the miracle, it's you know all of the cattle too, all of your livestock. It, just in case, just in case you're thinking, well, Pharaoh did this a few generations ago. Nope, Yahweh does this, and mm-hmm. it's across the entirety of the land. Anything that is firstborn is about to die. So that's kind of how I that's how yeah. I read it and interpret it. No, I think I think you know I I agree with that. I think there's a, a big piece of that, but I also think like in regards to the firstborn son was the the fulfillment of the lineage being fulfilled, like not the fulfillment, but the promise of the lineage continuing. Yeah. Um, so part of it is, I think, in, even in, in like the livestock, the value of the firstborn livestock, male livestock was that the herd would continue. Um, and it's, it's, there's hope given to the firstborn. There's hope given to um, when, when you have a son, when you have a male uh, cow, whatever, that there's hope that, okay, I can continue it's it's a promise of prosperity. It's the promise of legacy. It's the promise of of the, the your family line continuing. Um, and so I think there is something to be said about also the layer of there there was promise in there was promise received from the firstborn son and the firstborn livestock. Um, and so part of it is the the eradication of the promise that they would have clung to. Um, I think there is also supremacy being shown. To hey, I'm the provider. Actually, your your cattle, or your livestock are not. And the way that I can show that is showing you your firstborn livestock is going to die. Um, male livestock is going to die. And so I think that there's something to be said about there where God's shown the supremacy of He's the one who promises. He's the one who provides. He's the sovereign God that's over all of the all of the other hopes and dreams that we may have. So I do think there's that layer to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I mean, yeah, I mean, livestock. It's just well, they're just innocent cows. Sure, like that's one way to look at it, but there's more to the conversation as far as God's supremacy is concerned. So, yep. and at the end of the day, God said it, and so, um, so we we won't ever have uh, the ability to fully understand it in in its entirety, but we can have speculative conjecture at the same time, but also I think intelligent answers too. So, I should also specify that when I talked about how. Uh, the death of the firstborn is kind of a rebuke of the power of Pharaoh. They are two different Pharaohs. It's yeah. not the same. Well, Pharaoh I was, was going to say that too. Yeah. Um, but then I think I got distracted by yeah. something. Just in case you were confused, it's a, it's kind of a different rebuke, Pharaohs. Yeah. On the office of the Pharaoh, not yeah. necessarily the same Pharaoh. Well, but he was also the son of Pharaoh, wasn't he? Yeah. So it would have been in the same line. So it, much like, yeah, anyways, 
that that it all stands put. I don't need to beat that up anymore. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, on that that's note, a fun way to end it. On that note, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, as a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, under our media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, uh, we would really appreciate that. And you can do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week.